Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at PCRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy. And as we're watching Reformation happen in the CRC, things are getting messy and they're going to keep getting messier. So we're taking the opportunity to interview pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to hear about what needs to happen for us to see Reformation. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. Also, swing on over to our new website at themessyreformation.com. You'll find our podcast uploaded there, but also we're writing articles on a regular basis. So check it out. Comment in the bottom. Let's have a conversation there as well. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Matt Ford. So, Matt, why don't you kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and the church you're at? Yeah, so uh, I'm 45 years old. Um, came out here to this church 18 years ago. Um, went to seminary in Gordon-Conwell in the Boston area. And uh, after being there for a while, I was just itching, itching to preach and start pastoring. So we came out here. Um, family life, I'm just blessed with a wonderful, wonderful wife. We've been married 21 years and uh, can't imagine even functioning without her. Got five, five wonderful kids, three boys, two girls. Uh, my oldest is 16 and he's learned to drive and my youngest is six and he's just cute and probably a little spoiled, but uh, we love raising our kids and we're in a small church in Fountain Valley, California. And, you know, it's, uh, we're right next to Huntington Beach, just south of Los Angeles. And yet it's kind of this little hideaway. It's a teeny little building. It gets kind of stuffy at about a hundred people. It's got a field next to it, you know, and I live in a parsonage right there. So I have like the biggest front yard in Orange County. That's awesome. <laughs> but it's just a, a, a wonderfully welcoming, servant hearted bunch of people, talented group of people. And uh, we've been very blessed to to be with this church for so long. That's awesome. Now you said you've been there for 18 years. Did you plant the church or was it, has it been there for a while? Well, um, looking back, I would, I, I think it'd be fair to say we replanted the church. Uh, the church started, I think in the mid sixties. And then uh, right before we came out here, it actually closed. Um, okay. Then kind of a small group tried to to pick it up again. Anyway, by the time I came, there weren't, there weren't elders or deacons, um, super small group. And there were several years where we, you know, we, we didn't know if it was, if we were going to make it. Um, yeah. But then you look up and you've been there 18 years. So. Yeah. Amen. God's mercy and grace, right? God's mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. It's, it's interesting. Again, I, I keep pointing this out to people. Um, so the church, you said your church was planted in the 60s and then basically closed in, the you know, around 2000 or so. And uh, that 40 year age of a church is the most volatile of, of, of churches when mm. churches are 
um, growing because um, when the people plant the church, they're usually in their 30s. And, uh, and then they're 40 years later, they're in their 70s. And, uh, and uh, the baton hasn't gotten passed. And, and so I've seen that in a, in a previous church of mine. It's, it was really volatile and talked to a lot of churches who are in, uh, or a lot of pastors who are in kind of volatile church situations and, and things are pretty tense and they're usually around 40 years old. And so a church, if a church can make it through that, um, then they last for a hundred years or whatever, because they finally have to learn how to um, replicate, replicate leaders and, and pass the baton and disciple. Um, but a lot of churches close at that 40 year mark. So uh, my church that I'm in right now is uh, I, I've only been here for about three years and we, we're not calling it a replant, but it's definitely a revitalization mm-hmm. that uh, when I got there, um, they were down to like 30, 40 members and they had debated closing the doors, but then an interim came in and said, no, there's life here. We can kind of, you know, if we blow on these coals a little bit, life yeah. will come. And, uh, and he was, he was right. He was right. And so we've been, uh, we're, we're not growing massively, but we're a small little church here. And uh, God's been super faithful to us throughout uh, the last three years and uh, a lot of hope too. So I'm glad, I'm glad I'm able to keep serving there too. So yeah, praise God. Amen. So did you feel a call to ministry from a young age or, or when did you uh, experience your call? I would say that was about senior year of college. Um, looking at my childhood, I could see maybe pointers towards it, but, but definitely um, I, I kind of had a rebellious period my junior year of college. And then the Lord and his mercy really humbled me quite a bit. Um and then by the senior, by my senior year of college, just every, everything had changed in my view of my life and seeking the Lord and felt very uh, specifically a call to pastoral ministry, but I, I didn't even really know what that meant. In fact, I grew up in kind of an independent uh, Pentecostal church background, even though my family was moving like every, every three to five years. And we would always just kind of hit the, the church that seemed right. So I didn't, I didn't have, um, theological roots or a denominational rooting. Uh, and I only became reformed about my second year of seminary. Okay. So, you know, that was a huge paradigm yeah. shift. Um, and, uh, so I guess that's how I ended up this church I'm actually in right now is the first Christian reformed church I ever set foot in. Okay. So, so I'd be curious to hear that story then how you ended up there because you said you went to Gordon Conwell seminary, right? That's right. And so what led you from there to a CRC church in California? That's a great question. And uh, here, here's where I, I put my hope in the sovereignty of God, because uh, it's, it's not a wonderfully strategic plan or anything like that. Um <laughs> You know, just just one step at a time. I'm becoming, I'm falling in love with kind of the five solas, right? Um, and and I'm and I'm, for me, I'm waking up to seeing like that's that's how the Bible is talking. That's what it's saying. You know, there's this glorious God who loves His glory and does everything for His glory alone, and then Scripture alone, mm-hmm. faith alone, and faith alone, and Christ alone. And that's that's when in my heart and waking me up and uh, and and changing how I view things and what I want to teach and. So then let's see, um, I finished my MDiv at Gordon Conwell. I'm also working at, as a uh, resident director in a dormitory at Gordon College, which they're not related, but they're right next to one another. 
So because I'm around, I got a THM and then I'm finally like, I got to start doing this. I want to pastor. I want to, I want to preach mainly. I want to preach. I want to mm-hmm. preach the Bible. I want to preach the gospel. And so kind of naively I'm looking for just a small struggling place to try to, to uh, replant, you know, and I did have some wise people in my life tell me that maybe wasn't the best place to do my first pastor. Um, I didn't listen to them. And uh, so I'm, I think I found it quite honestly. I mean, this is 18 years ago. I think I found it on like a, the Fuller Seminary jobs posting website. Uh, I sent an application, got a call back. You know, I tell my wife, Hey, this church, they, they want to fly us out. Where is it? Southern California. She's like, no way. You know, what are you talking about? Uh, I was like, Hey, well, it's a, you know, it's a weekend in Southern California. How bad can it be? We'll go check it out. And then uh, a couple of months later, you know, at first we thought, well, there's no way we're going to go there. A couple of months later, we we were there. So, well, yeah. Praise God. Yeah. So you, uh, so you, I, I'd be interested to hear, you said you kind of jumped around from different communities and then just kind of jumped into whatever church you felt fit. And so what were the different uh, denominations and churches you were a part of growing up? Uh, the, the denomination was always, almost always non-denominational. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, every, every everywhere is, has a, you know, a practice. There's no yeah. such thing as a non-denominational church. Yeah. It's, it's another way of being in a certain kind of denomination. Yeah. Well, like Tim, I think it's Tim Hawkins that says, right, non-denominational is just Baptist church with a cool name. <laughs> kind of, yeah. So, um, you know, my dad my dad met the Lord right when uh, he and my mom got married, um, and, and they, they, they love Jesus. They always did their very best, um, but he flew for every airline that went out of business after he got out of the Navy, oh. and so... Um, we were, all, we were always moving mainly for my dad's work. And then, um, and then I guess you kind of just get used to a shirt, a certain church flavor and you, and you go there. So, yeah. Um, I, I don't have, I'm not full of bitterness or anything about, about it. Uh, they were good people that love the Lord. Um, obviously I have, um, some theological things I've become convicted of and care about and, uh, yeah. But but it it just ended up being that kind of it was it, it tended to be rather charismatic, uh, pretty pretty Arminian, a little bit yep. experience oriented, but at the same time I can't remember not thinking, hey I'm a sinner. There's a transcendent God who sent His Son to save me from my sins. I got mm-hmm. I got to trust Jesus, and as I trust Jesus, I belong to Him, and I, I'm thankful for that as a as a background as a heritage. Yeah, Amen. Yeah, Matt, thanks for that. I'm kind of wondering as you were studying as you were in seminary and you became convicted of the truth of the reformed faith, did that play itself out very much in uh, the kind of church that you wanted to pastor? Uh, I mean, did, did you really start to place importance on the tenets of a church as soon as you started forming your convictions on these things? That's a great question. I think I did a lot of things backwards due to kind of an immaturity, um, so as I'm becoming convinced of these things, I want to go to a church where um, they want me to preach them, basically. Um, mm. So I'm thinking, I want to be fair, right? I want to, um, I'm not going to go try to, I'm not going to try to go to, a, you know, what would I say now? I'm not going to try to go to an Arminian Pentecostal church and then preach. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, that I don't believe that. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm looking for a context where, where that will fit. And, and to be honest, very broad, very broad at that point in my mind on what I'm looking for. And I almost don't even know what I'm looking for. Um, and I think I only sent out three applications the whole time. Wow. And this is one of them. And I just, I just landed here. Um, and I didn't even know, you know, you learn as you meet different people, a lot of different people have um, different understandings of what the word reformed even means. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, and so I'm thinking at that point, especially about soteriology, uh, a glorious God, still got a lot to learn about, you know, going any deeper than that. Um, other people are thinking, you know, you, you step foot into a CRC church that has, you know, almost closed. Um, there was still a lot of kind of the, the older Dutch influence at that point. Uh, to, to where you hear the phrase for the first time, well, if you aren't Dutch, you ain't much. And maybe you guys have heard that before. Yeah. But I'm like, what? Yeah. You know, what, what does that have to do with anything? Um, no, no idea. And then you kind of the, the little CRC subculture of reformed and uh, the nuances of that, you know, whatever your yeah. context might be. Yeah, that's cool. So I, the, one of the first questions we always ask people is, uh, you know, what are some of the strengths that you see in the CRC? And so I always appreciate somebody who hasn't grown up in the CRC. I, I've kind of been in the CRC long enough now that I've grown up in the CRC. I've been here for over 20 years, but, but I did come to faith in a little independent non-denominational Baptist church as right. well. So, yeah. so I've got that in my history, but, but I do appreciate hearing from people who've kind of been in different traditions and kind of looking in from the outside on what do you, what do you see some of the strengths of the Christian reformed church being? Sure. I, I would include, um, you know, just Presbyterian roots in general, creeds and confessions, Um, Mm -hmm. the Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster Confession as well, um, Mm -hmm. Belgic Canons Adore, just, just a, um, how would I summarize that? It's just a history of uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, especially from the perspective of the Reformation, thinking hard about how to understand the Bible. Yeah. And, and, um, so what do I love? I love, um, I love the Christ centeredness of the Bible. I I think it all points to Jesus Christ. Um, Mm -hmm. he is the fulfillment. He's the answer. All, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. And so, you know, the, the creeds and confessions realize that, that it's about Christ. And, and so there's a, there's a beauty of a, um, you know, we're, we're not, I'm not just one guy in the corner making up uh, what I think the Bible says to me today, right? I'm, uh, I'm parsing through what a lot of God's people have thought about and written about and worked on together over hundreds and hundreds of years. It's a great way to, to live out that, you know, that, that section in Jude, this faith that was once for all given to the saints. Amen. We're able to, uh, to hang on to that together. Um, in a reformed denomination. I also appreciate even the, you know, church order and trying to work together in a way that's reasonable and thoughtful and um, helps, helps, helps us team together and make decisions. I appreciate that. But I heard somebody say once ministry is local. And I think my favorite part of the denomination is just 
uh, fellow pastors in my classes. We get together pretty much every other week. Um, and these guys are my brothers and we, yeah. you know, suffered together, ask hard questions together, try to survive COVID situation yeah. together. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we can vent together. We've done council training seminars together. Um, I think that's probably my, to be honest, that's my favorite part is just fellowship with other pastors who are nearby that, that I can, uh, you know, yeah. lean, on, lean on. Huge. That's huge. Oh yeah. Amen. I, I think it's wonderful if you can find local pastors anywhere near you, even if they're not of the same denomination to kind of rub shoulders with and stir one another up to, to love and good works as the author of Hebrews says. Amen to that. Um, yeah, you, you kind of touched on uh, COVID, Matt. I'm just wondering how you think uh, your church in general has kind of weathered the storm throughout the, the COVID craziness and how the yeah. leadership has kind of handled things on your part. I would say God's been very kind in that uh, the leadership has pretty much been unified on the choices we've had to make. I, I've used the word spectrum a lot. I guess I think these last two years, you know, whether it's like a political spectrum or a um, how, how you understand COVID mass vaccine spectrum. Yep. And so, you know, we have, we have some people on different sides of the, the spectrum on all those issues. We've really tried to emphasize church unity as much as we can and serving one another. And, and, you know, there were, there were some hot spots or hard conversations, but I'd say in general, we've done, God's been very kind. We've done very well. Um, felt like God just kind of set the way for what was best, best for our church body. Uh, mm. best way for us to handle that. And, and, uh, yeah, we've, we've, we've made it through. Okay. Actually grew a little bit through it. Um, Amen. so we're, we're thankful. Yeah. I'd be curious. Um, did, did you ever throughout the last, you know, so we've been going through some of this COVID stuff for a year and almost nine months now. Um, did you preach directly on any of this at all on how to handle COVID or, uh, you know, I've had some pastors say you would let, I'm not going to touch it with a 10 foot pole. I'm just going to, and, and other pastors are like, I'm going to dive in and just kind of address some of this head on. Uh, what, how did you handle that? Yeah, good question. I think I've talked about unity quite a bit. Um, and so I would mention how all of these factors could feed into our disunity. Um, yeah. Obviously you, you get, you guys experience this too. You know, it, it happened to be a, a, an election at the same time. Right. And so there's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not like it's just talking about COVID or vaccines. It's always tied to other things as well. Yeah. So I'll talk, I'll talk about, I don't, I don't know if people, some people think I'm not political enough. Some people think I'm too political. I don't, I don't know what I am. Um, but I'll, I'll talk about some things from the pulpit and other things I, I won't, um, uh, in our case, you know, we're not anti-vaccine, but we have people who are, um, but we've just kind of left that up to people's choices. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's our official, let's love one another and make the best choice for you and your family. Uh, that's kind of as far as we've gone with that. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the approach I've taken too. I, I'm not one to not address something. Um, but I even laughed. I just talked to uh, a couple of my elders this past week. So this last Sunday was my first Sunday back in the pulpit after being yeah. sick for three months. Wow. 
And of course, as I was writing my sermon, I did feel led to, to, to discuss some of this. And I'm like, probably not the best thing to do on my first sermon back, but it landed really well. And, uh, and just calling out again, and a lot of it's talking about unity and how, I don't know, the disunity that I'm seeing in the church and, and just across the United States is people's uh, refusal to understand what other people believe about an issue, right? And so anti-maskers think maskers are just fools and maskers think anti-maskers are fools and, and nobody can imagine that anybody could believe anything different than them. And, and uh, I've probably focused most of my efforts on just calling out both sides and for their pride and saying, we need to humble ourselves and be able to learn to live together. And uh, I feel like that's been good. Um, that's been a fairly helpful way to, I haven't pushed one side or the other, right? But I've just kind of said, you need to open your eyes a little bit and understand why people in our church have a different opinion than you and uh, love them anyways, you know? And, uh, and so we've, we've weathered the storm really well too. And, and the, the kingdom of God, what does Paul say, right? It's not a matter of eating and drinking. Uh, it's not a matter of masking or not masking, you know? Like, yeah. Amen. And, and so a lot of these conversations, you know, I'm happy to have a one-on-one conversation about what I think about these things and why. Um, and that's usually where those things take place. Yeah. But, you know, when you're in the pulpit and you represent the gospel, um, right. Isn't, isn't one of our great temptations to take something that's important, but not the most important and make it the most important. And that's, that's something I never want to do. Um, and so I want to, we, I want to protect myself and, and the gospel itself and, and keep it where it belongs and not let anything, not let anything, um, you know, jump that and, and stand in the lead now of what's most important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, to, to kind of tie that in with some of the things that you were already saying about what you appreciate about the, the church is our confessions point us in that direction too, as far mm-hmm. as, yeah. yeah, we can be, I mean, yes, we pray for our leaders. Yes. We'd be involved in, in government and politics. I mean, we dive into these things, but yeah, but it's all, it all goes back to the gospel and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's one of the things that's been on my heart so much in the midst of this is, is helping people understand that the only way we bring about change, right. Is, is through the gospel that changes hearts. We can, we can yell and scream at each other about masks, no mask, whatever. Um, but that's not really going to change anybody's heart. It's only through the gospel um, that people's hearts are changed. And so if you, if you sidestep that foundational element, um, nothing gets done. And so, and it's really easy to get into that, right? Cause we think, I think it's, we get so caught up in some of these political things and so fiery about them because we think that's going to actually bring about change quicker. We think it's going to give us instant results and, uh, and focusing on the gospel and changing hearts. That's just slow. <laughs> we don't want to wait that long. Mm. And yet um, you sidestep it and there's no change at all. Mm. So I'd be curious also to know then, you know, uh, being in the CRC for the last 18 years, um, what some of your concerns are that, that you've kind of seen happening in the denomination over the last 18 years, or even in the last, you know, five or six years, things have been heating up a little bit more again. And, and so what are some of the concerns that you're seeing happening um, as a denomination? 
Yeah, uh, in a way, I almost don't feel super qualified to answer that. Um, my participation has been so local. Um, but at the same time, um, especially I think in the last couple of years, I, the, the word I want to use, maybe it's too strong, is, is just a pattern I think we see in maybe every denomination ever. <laughs> Um, and yeah. in God's people. And that's the word I want to use is syncretism. Mm. Uh, mm. And that's where, right, people, one group emphasizes the gospel. The next, the next generation seems to kind of assume the gospel. And then very soon you're wondering if we're denying the gospel. And I use the word syncretism because it, it seems to me that a new authority creeps in instead of sola scriptura. Mm-hmm. It's scripture and or or just there's this new voices are telling us how things really ought to be and then there's a then there's a new vision of worship and salvation Mm. Um, and so i think you know for the last year and and talking to others and and seeing what's out there i think the the human sexuality report and that whole conversation that's really that's really important but i think it's also just a picture of perhaps that that same pattern of syncretism um you know the 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 confessions tell us right we the way we the way we know the lord is he reveals himself to us through his word Mm -hmm. and the way he's very serious about how he's worshiped and the way we know that is through his word and um and then when you see movements to kind of just move the word out of the way, um, you bring in a new authority and a new sort of worship. Yeah. And so, and I and I think you know the talking about sexuality, obviously it's a hot button issue, right, for culture and our church. Um, but to me, that's just the echo of that more primary issue of. Um, how do we know who to worship and how to worship him? And yeah. and, and, and and is the word the authority on that? Amen. That would, well, be, my concern. I, that would be my concern. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's become such a hot button issue because it really comes down to authority. Um, <laughs> yeah. Who says right? Who has the right to tell you that you can't? You know, there's a vacuum, right? With authority, there's always a vacuum. I mean, there's going to be an authority. You you can't not have one, right? And so the question is, well, well, what's the authority? And and how do we understand that authority? And 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 the irony, I think, here is we ought to know better as a in the reform circles, right? We we've thought about this before, we've talked about this before, we being the legacy of reformed believers for hundreds of years uh, we we know what's up here on syncretism idolatry the importance of the word uh being um god revealing himself through his word uh, mm-hmm. in his son uh, we we know we know this and yet to see um to hear leaders in the christian reformed church you know in in my mind sometimes playing games with uh with the word and, and authority yeah. and then, and then all of a sudden bringing in a new authority and it's like, um, 
you know, I, I wanted to be able to give a, a specific example because I, I don't like it when people just give sweeping accusations. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be that kind of person. So I was, I was on the all one body website. I don't know if you guys have been there Yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and looking at, at one video and this, and this guy who's a, you know, he's a pastor and a leader in the Christian reformed church and, and giving this kind of, you know, don't be a bibliolater, right? The Bible's not God. Um, and then um, the Bible is about, right, um, the revealing of who God is. So we can have a relationship with him. It's not a list of rules. And then just giving this idea that it's impossible nearly for a normal person to be able to interpret what the rules are. But it's so simple and obvious that it's about a relationship with God. And I just hear this, um, this other authority, you know, we, we know better now, led by the spirit, having conversations, listening to one another, we, we know better now what the authority is for how we ought to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, I'm just thinking, even from a common sense point of view, like what, what, what real relationship do I have with someone that doesn't have rules to it? Amen. Um, there's darn well, you know, my closest relationship with my wife, there's, there's darn well some rules in that relationship. <laughs> Amen. Right? And imagine if there weren't like, uh, you think of God being a covenant God. There's, he's pretty serious about, um, it's, it's not rules or relationship. Right. And for sure you can, you know, with any truth, you can swing too, too far into error. So yes, it's possible to, want to have all your theological answers or be legalistic and um, and diminish a relationship with the Lord by his grace. That's for sure. That's possible. But I was just, you know, I, this one verse, I thought I would mention what Jesus says in John 14, 21, whoever has, com- whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so I see there this wonderful, it's a collaboration of as you know the Lord's commandments and keep them, you actually go and grow in your relationship with him. Amen. And you live out your love for him and to him. And so it's really a false dichotomy to me to say that, you know, rules diminish relationship or, or that God hasn't made, you know, a lifestyle that's pleasing to him clear so that we ought to, so that we could have a real relationship with him and live for his glory. I'm, I'm disturbed by that. And I, and I, yeah. I'm, I'm not happy that leaders in a reformed and reformed circles are saying things like that. Yeah. And they're not just saying it right. They're actually putting up videos and posting them online and like shouting it from the rooftops. Right. We have people saying that and it goes against, it really goes down to a fundamental issue against almost everything we stand for as a denomination, uh, a denomination that stands on God's word. And um, I, as you were talking, you know, this, this ridiculous dichotomy between uh, rules and relationship and, and not being bibliolatrists. I, that I remember just almost crying going, Oh my goodness, let's not go there. And do you, you remember? Know, do you remember what God says to David in in uh, Samuel? Right. So David, he sees his 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 
his buddy's wife, right? And she's beautiful and he desires her. And he he breaks every rule, right? <laughs> and then and the Lord through the prophet says to him, in, in like it's in verse nine, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what's evil in his sight, right? So you broke a rule. Mm-hmm. And then down in verse 10, it says, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me. Mm. That just, that shouts at me. When we despise God's rules, we're actually despising him. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Matt Ford. Until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Mm-hmm.